Uh, So uh, Philippians 4 is our reading this evening. Again, I'll I'll read the whole of uh, Philippians chapter 4. So Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied, not that I have received from a, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Apparently, if you want to cook a frog alive, and I know this might be a strange thing that you might not particularly want to do, but if you want to cook a frog alive, you don't drop the frog into boiling water. If you do, the frog will just jump straight out. But rather, if you want to cook a frog alive, you put it in the water when the water's cold, and then you heat the water slowly, and the frog will not jump out as the temperature doesn't rise uh, too quickly. And this has been used as, a, as an illustration of, of what it is to live as a Christian uh, in the world. What it is for, to live as a Christian in a post-Christian age. That, uh, the, the, the imagery is that we are being slowly boiled alive, or that's what uh, the world is attempting to do uh, to us. 
that our society is trying to change uh, what we believe uh, in all sorts of, of subtle ways, uh, that this has been happening throughout the, the church age, uh, and it's happening now. And we receive the, the message, don't we, constantly about uh, the fact that we are intolerant, the fact that we are bigoted, the fact that we are homophobic, the fact that we are old-fashioned. None of these uh, terms are, are positive terms, are they? None of them are terms of endearment. They're all uh, very negative terms. And as we're told these things, we are being slowly chipped away at. Uh, the, the, the world and the society around us is trying to undermine what we believe uh, by telling us how we should think and how we should act. And yet the word of God is our rule, isn't it? The word of God is our rule for all our conduct. And we're not to shift from it. Society constantly changes what it believes is right and wrong. You only need to look at the, the statute book to, to see that. Something that was uh, illegal uh, 50 years or 100 years ago is now rife in society. And so as we go about our, our lives, uh, we need to know what to, to fight for and what to fight against, don't we? We need to know what we can accept in our society and what we, we can't accept. We need to know what's okay for us as Christians, and what's not okay. In, verses, uh, in chapter 3, verses 17, down to, to 4, verses 7, we've been uh, reminded by Paul that as Christians, we are different. In one sense, we don't need to be told that, do we? Because we're constantly being told that we're, we're different in a negative way. Uh, but Paul tells us that we're different in such a positive way. He tells us that we are indeed citizens of heaven. Oh, what a wonderful thing that is. And that our hope is secure in Christ, our Saviour who we are awaiting and who will return and who will change us uh, so that we will be like uh, him. And so Paul tells us that we're to stand firm, we're to stand firm for what we, we believe in. And he tells us that in order to do that, we need to have inner unity, uh, that within our, our churches. Uh, there needs to be no division. How can we fight against the, uh, the external battle if internally we are, uh, we are fighting one another? And then last, last week we looked and Paul uh, told us of some of the characteristics as the people of God we should, uh, we should have, uh, that we are to be a people of, of joy, a people of gentleness, a people of prayer, a people of peace. That we are those that know the nearness of our, our gods, that know the, the peace of our, our gods. And that these things should, should show, shouldn't they, as we, we live our lives uh, out in the world. But it's, it's not always easy, is it, to stand firm? And it's not always easy uh, to, to raise our, our heads above what is, is going around us. And so in verses 8 and 9, Paul uh, gives us uh, some instruction on, on how to do this. And perhaps it's a, a passage that you're familiar with, and a, perhaps it's a passage that as you, you read it, you like to read it. It's a, it's a lovely passage. But as we think about it, we see again the, the link between what we think and what we, what we do. And we see uh, the link between our thoughts and our deeds, and also the presence of our, our Lord. So as we, we try to remain faithful in a, a hostile world, uh, Paul gives us instructions here so that we, uh, we can know how to be. Because we know, don't we, that our thoughts can be very powerful. Uh, they can be a, a big influence. They can, can, they can convince us of, of things that aren't true. 
We know likewise that our, our actions, when we go down a course of wrong actions, that uh, that, that can cause all sorts of, of harm and, and difficulty. And of course, when we're influenced by uh, those that shouldn't influence us, again, it takes us away uh, from our Lord. And there's, there's many that would want to influence us in that way. So how can we remain uh, faithful in a hostile world? Well, the first point that Paul makes is that we are to think about good things. We're to think about good things. It sounds like uh, some kind of modern psychotherapy, doesn't it? Um, rather than being a, a preacher, I'm, your, I'm going to ask you to come and lie on the couch uh, this evening. Uh, but, but Paul tells us that this is, that this is what we're to do. As, as Christians, we need to, to know how to think, don't we? Uh, when, we're, when we're brought into the, the kingdom of God, we realize that we have to rethink everything. Uh, that we thought before, particularly if we come from a, a non-Christian, non-church, non-Bible uh, background. So how do we know whether our thoughts are, are right, whether they're godly or, or sinful? How do we know what's pleasing to God and what's not? How can we cope living in a, a society that's set up against us? And how, what about our children? How do we help them uh, to grow up in a society uh, that is set against them? How do we prepare them for life? Well, of course, we, we start, don't we? We need to allow God's words uh, to be the starting point for what we, we think about. Did you notice in, in Psalm 77, as the, as the, the, um, the psalmist was, was thinking about the things that were, were, were bad in his life and all the troubles and so on, that it was only as he started to, to meditate on, on what God is like and on what God has done that, uh, that the, uh, the light was seen at the end of the tunnel. Uh, Verse 12 of that psalm says, I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. And again, meditation is perhaps a a word that is um, hijacked by by false faiths. Uh, But it's something that the Bible tells us that we're to do. We're to to think continually. We're to meditate. We're to chew over. uh, We're to to think through the implications of what God's word says. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 14, my wife uh, from time to time, uh, reminds me of this verse. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That it's the totality of our life, isn't it? That everything we do uh, comes out of a meditation on God's word, uh, but also on that desire, that heart uh, felt desire that our, our mouths uh, wouldn't betray our beliefs, that our hearts would be kept pure and that we would be pleasing to our God. Romans 12 verse 2 uh, tells us that we're no longer to conform to the pattern of this world, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. That as uh, Paul says in that verse in Romans, that there's been a great transformation happened that when we go from being in the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And we have to rethink. We're not to, to go back to the, the pattern of this world, uh, but we're to, to be now patterned on the, uh, the will of God, uh, demonstrated to us in the Scriptures. That as we understand the Gospel, that it leads to us desiring to be changed, uh, to, to have those thoughts that we know are wrong um, turned away, that our minds might be changed in line of, with God's will. And so, of course, this is always the starting point, isn't it? God's word. And yet, in these verses here, Paul widens the scope of what we should meditate on. And I found it quite uh, surprising. 
Um, lots of the the, uh, the commentators, lots of those that uh, that write books about uh, the Bible, um, say that these things that that Paul calls us to are, are some kind of a list of of pagan um, character traits that uh, that they revered, and that Paul is wanting to to Christianize them. And there might be uh, some truth in that. As many as say that that's the case, say uh, that it's not the case. Um, uh, but he widens his scope and he says uh, that there are, are good things that we should think about, that we should meditate on. That what Paul wants the Philippians to think about, they're not things that we would say are exclusively Christian. That he gives uh, six things here, uh, the, the six criteria, uh, starting each with the word whatever. And these are these categories that, that things can fall into. And, and as I say, it's not just Christians or Christian things that fall into these categories. There are some things that are always good for us to think about. That's what Paul is, is saying here. Whether it's to be found in the Bible or whether it's something that's seen in a Christian or spoken by a Christian or that it's seen in a non-believer. There are, there are certain things that are, are good if we think of the, the book of Proverbs, many of the Proverbs are, are universal in scope, aren't they? Many of them speak about the Lord and about the Lord's people, but many of them uh, speak in a, a wider context. And we're told that we are to, uh, to think about these, uh, these things. James 1 verse 17 tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above. And so whether we see it in one another or we see it in an unbeliever, uh, that these uh, things that are good, that we should think about, that we should meditate on, are, are gifts from God. The gifts of his, his common grace. We need to be careful, don't we, what we allow to enter our, our minds. Because once things go into our minds, uh, we can't easily remove them. I was struck by um, Naomi having nightmares after we watched, um, we watched a, 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 a TV cartoon. And that the things that had gone into her mind that we didn't even realize would affect her suddenly were, were, were on her mind as she slept and they woke her up and they troubled her. And uh, we have a, there's a children's song, uh, you may know it, that says, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little eyes what you see. And then it says, be careful little ears what you hear. And this is, this is right, isn't it? That the things that we see, the things that we hear uh, have an impact on us. But it's not only what we see what we hear, what we experience, but it's also how we see and experience these things. And I think this is what Paul is, is getting to, that in a fallen world, we're inevitably going to come across things that are, are damaging and bad, uh, but also we come across other things that are, that are good. And we need to have a filter, and that's why we keep coming back to the Word of God. Isn't The Word of God is to be our filter of how we see things so that we can filter out the bad things and we can dwell upon the good things. Paul says in Romans 12 that we're to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. I want you to imagine um, sorting through a basket of, of fruit. If you know uh, how to distinguish the good fruit and the bad fruit, uh, you get rid of the bad fruit, don't you? And you keep uh, the good fruits. And it's this sort of idea that we're to, to sort through and we're to reject what is bad and to keep uh, what is good. And we need to protect our, our hearts, don't we, from what is bad. So what does Paul want us to think about? In verse 8 he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, 
Think about such things. Think about such things. So he says, whatever is true. And we see things that are true, don't we, in, in society. We see truth. People tell the truth as opposed to always lying. Could you imagine a world where everybody lied all the time? It would be, it would be terrible. When we, when we hear people taking the tr- telling the truth, uh, that it should remind us that, that it's a good thing, isn't it, to tell the truth. But also it should remind us of the truth uh, comes from God. We're told, aren't we, in Scripture that the devil is the father of lies. And yet God is the one who ordains the truth. And so when, when we come across people who, who speak the truth, uh, that we should see that as a good thing and we should think upon uh, those things. We should think upon whatever is true. Paul speaks about whatever is noble. There's much that is noble in our, our society, isn't there? We think of the charities. that, um, that are, There's so many charities in our society where people give up time to help others. And we see acts of kindness, don't we, within our, within our streets where, where people help those that are, are struggling in whatever way or they help the elderly, they might tend their garden or, or whatever else. That the, we see people protecting the weak and the, the vulnerable, standing up against evil. It's not only Christians that go into the police force, is it? It's not only Christians that, uh, that do things that are, are noble, And yet, of course, as we think about these things, it should cause us to gaze upon our our Lord again, shouldn't it? We think of of the cross, that Christ willingly went to the cross to help others, to save the weak and the vulnerable, to stand up against evil. That we're to think about whatever is true, whatever is noble. We're to think about whatever is right. Again, in in our country, we're blessed with a judicial system, aren't we, which has checks and balances that if somebody thinks that they've been unfairly tried, they are able to, to go to another trial. And we should rejoice in that, that we can have a fair trial. We should rejoice in the honesty of our authorities. Now, these are, are good things. We should in, rejoice in seeing uh, loving parents caring diligently for their, their children. And again, that's whether they're Christians or, or non-Christians. We should rejoice in these things because they are right, aren't they? They're right and they're good. And of course, again, as we think about what is right, we can't help but think about God, can we? We think about his righteousness. He's the one that determines what is right. That all his judgments are are righteous. That his throne is is set upon uh, righteousness. Paul says we're to think about these things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. Whatever is pure, we live in a a world that is debauched in so many ways. And yet there are things that are are pure. And we're struck by, again, by uh, by people's love for for one another, that genuine uh, care. When we see genuine humility in people again, we see uh, something of that purity. That's one of the reasons why we're, we're praying, aren't we, for marriage to be kept as it is. We're told that we're um, to, to honour marriage, we're to keep it uh, pure. And again, as we think about purity, we can't help but think about the Lord again, can we? We think about the purity of his life, that he never sinned. And again, in a fallen world, it's astonishing, isn't it? He never sinned, we know uh, that we so easily fall into sin. 
But we're to think about these things. They're to raise our, our eyes. Paul goes on, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is lovely. We live in a beautiful world, don't we? A beautiful world. And our creation is, is beautiful. And that's why many of us love going for, for walks, don't we? That's why, why people, whether they're Christians or not, love going to the local park, having a wander around, seeing flowers grow, going into the Lake District or up into uh, the Dales or, or wherever else it is, to the coast. And we see the beauty of, of God's creation. Whatever is lovely. You see the, uh, we see when children laugh, don't we, the, the, kind of the way that it affects other people. We see the, a newborn baby and we see uh, that that baby is, is lovely, that everybody's eyes turn to that child and, and there's a delight that, uh, that appears. And yet again, as we think about whatever is lovely, we can't help, can we, but, but turn our eyes to our God, our God of grace, our God of, of forgiveness. How lovely is forgiveness? It's such a wonderful thing. How lovely is grace? And of course, Paul has, has mentioned on so many occasions in this letter about heaven. How lovely is heaven? It's God's dwelling place. It's the place of righteousness. It's the place where there is no sin. And it's the place where we are headed. And what a, a, a lovely uh, thing to, to focus our, our minds upon. Whatever is admirable. Again, we see much to admire, don't we, around us. When we see people working hard, well, that's admirable, isn't it? Laziness is the opposite. We, we don't admire laziness, but we admire it when people work hard. We admire generosity, don't we? There are many people that are, are generous uh, in this world, and some of them incredibly generous. And again, they're not just Christians. Uh, those in, in general. We think of those serving in our armed forces, they're willingly putting their lives in danger. And again, it's admirable. And of course, uh, we admire the Lord, don't we, for all that he has done for us, that he would, he would willingly uh, put himself in our place, that he would be our substitute, that he would die the death that we deserve so that we could have eternal life. What an amazing God we have. What an amazing Savior we have. So Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's saying we should, we should think about these, these things. We're to think about the, the wonders of our gods. But as we think about the, the, the good things that we see in society, it should cause us to, to cast our minds up uh, to our gods. Because all these good things come back to God's character and God's blessing. And these things all come back to the gospel of his grace. And that's why we're to, to think about these things. So the challenge is, is to look at uh, what we think about and also how we think, it, uh, think about it. That we're not to receive things uncritically, are we? But we are to see the, the good things that we are to fill our minds with. We are to assess everything through that biblical uh, framework. And I said last week that I thought that perhaps gentleness is something that as Christians we, um, we, need, to, we need to work on. And I think perhaps this is as well. We are rightly critical of our culture, uh, that it's going in a, um, an anti-biblical, anti-Christian, 
anti-God direction. And yet, because there's so much to be rejected, we need to be careful, don't we, to not reject everything. Because we can go too far. Maybe you're uh, the sort of person that, that dwells on the negative, that dwells on the things that are wrong, that dwells on the sorry side of things. And that this pulls down all your thoughts. It pulls down even uh, uh, your thoughts of the good that we see. We know, don't we, when we're going through tough times, that this is the case, that that even things that we know are blessings, we we find them that they're tinged with, with sadness. But Paul says that we're to fill our minds with these good things. And we were told uh, prior, weren't we, that we're to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Well, this is part of that, isn't it? It's how we, how we view things, how we think about things. And that Paul tells us that we're to, to fix our minds on these things that are all good. We mustn't allow uh, the things that go wrong to pull us down, to affect our view of, of God's goodness and God's grace to us. We're to dwell on the good things. Uh, that God has given us. So we should think about good things. Uh, But secondly, we should practice what uh, the Bible teaches. We've already hinted that that is the framework, isn't it? Well, Paul goes on, just so that they wouldn't think that it was just about anything, anything that is good, that he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Paul continues the the whatevers in in one respect. And he goes on to whatever you have learned, whatever you have received, whatever you have heard from me, whatever you have seen in me, whatever you have learned or or received. He's speaking about his teaching. He's speaking about them receiving uh, the word of God. And Paul, as a a, a preacher and as as an apostle, uh, wanted to, to, to get over the full counsel of God. He wanted them to... Uh, to know everything that was helpful to them. As he met with the Ephesian elders, uh, as recorded in Acts 20, we're told what he said to the Ephesian elders. He said, you know that I have not hesitated to to preach anything that would be helpful to you. Anything that would be helpful to you. Because Paul knows that it comes from from knowledge of God, uh, that knowledge of God leads to right thoughts and it leads to right actions and as we dwell upon these things as we meditate upon these things uh, that it affects us positively and so he said that he he wouldn't hesitate to preach anything uh, that would be helpful to them he wants them to understand why he says what he says and not only that but that they'll see the benefits of what he teaches they'll see how it's useful uh, in this life and that's why we try to apply, don't we? We try to apply the, the scriptures as we, as we look at them. We think about the, the truth and then we think about how it affects our, our lives in different ways, different aspects of our lives. And so that's why he calls them to put into practice at the end of the verse, doesn't he? Put into practice. So whatever you have learned or received, put it into practice. Because the, our understanding of God's word is meant to change us. It's meant to affect the way we think. It's meant to affect the way we behave. It's meant to affect the way we think about God, isn't it? Our, that he's, a, he's no taskmaster, is he? But he's our, our loving uh, heavenly father. That it's meant to affect the way that we look at one another. 
that we are, are not rivals in, in some kind of great race, but that we're, we're family, aren't we? We're to care uh, for one another. It must affect the way that we live now because uh, we remember the blessedness of the, the future and we know that we don't want to be disqualified. That's why it's important to think about what is, is taught, isn't it? And not just accept what is said from the, the front Paul, of course, was an apostle and he had apostolic authority. I'm not an apostle. I don't have apostolic authority. Uh, but I have the scriptures. You know, Paul didn't have all of the scriptures. He was, he, was, he was speaking the word of God and writing the scriptures, wasn't he? You know, that, the, uh, that the Lord had, had ordained that that would be the case. But we have the complete word of God, don't we? We have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, we have the full picture. And we're to, to learn it and receive it as the, the basis uh, for what we do. So Paul says again uh, that we're to receive and to, to learn uh, what, uh, what he's, he's given. We're to put it into practice. But he says it's not only his teaching. He also speaks about what, we, what they heard and what they saw in him. It's not only his teaching, but it's also his conduct. And again, we can't separate, can we, the, the teaching of the word of God from our conduct that the way we conduct ourselves should speak volumes about uh, what we believe, what the Bible teaches. But Paul never separates the two. The Bible never separates the two. Paul doesn't teach uh, some sort of a philosophy to be put alongside the other philosophies of the world. He's not teaching about some kind of idealistic or idealized way to live. But Paul's teaching what can be lived out in reality and what is to be lived out in reality. And so Paul himself does that, that, that they saw him, his practical theology as he understood what the, the Bible speeches, uh, speaks about God and teaches about God, that he put it into practice in his life. And so if you were there with Paul, you'd be able to hear his conversations and you'd see that he, he spoke the gospel and that you'd be able to see in the way that he conducted himself, that he, that he showed the gospel. And so that's why he appeals to what, he, what they have heard and what they've seen. These Philippians have known him. And of course, Paul knows uh, the impact of, um, of, of bad influences on the church. That's why he, he is always uh, warning them against false teachers. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. And we know that, don't we, from the schoolyard. We, we see that so easily uh, demonstrated. And we know, don't we, from our own lives that perhaps there are certain people or certain groups of people uh, that always seem to encourage us in a, in a way that we know is, is wrong, that they encourage us in a way that is sinful. And yet there are other people uh, that always encourage us in a right way. They encourage us Godward. They encourage us towards righteousness. And so we're to follow the example of the latter, aren't we? Not the former. We're to follow the example of the godly. And so Paul gives this as a corrective to what uh, the Philippians might have thought from verse 8, that we're to, to take on board everything. If we see somebody and they seem to be of noble character and they seem to, to speak the truth and to do what is right, that we should copy all that they do. Uh, but Paul says that he is the model uh, for them as he walks in uh, imitation of Christ, uh, that he is to be our role model. 
And so it should be Christians, shouldn't it, that should be our, our role models, whether it's the um, Christians now or those that we read biographies of, and they inspire us to, uh, to live out the, the teaching of the gospel. And so, of course, we must be careful how, we, how much time we spend with those that might unduly influence us. Of course, we're not to be judgmental of them, but we are um, to be wise in what we are willing to do with them. But it's not just people, is it? It's, it's, it's things as well. It's not just spending time with people, but it's also magazines, newspapers, it's, it's TV programs, it's, it's films that, that have that slow heating effect on us. That you watch a TV program and there's, there's blasphemy in it and at first it, 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 it reviles you. But then as you carry on watching, you get used to it and you become uh, desensitized to it. And then you start to think, well, is God's name really that important? And it has an impact on us. Likewise, if you, if you watch things that have um, sexual content in it or, or, or lots of violence, these things uh, become normalized. They become normal and they have an impact on us. We're not to allow these things to, to influence us. These things wouldn't come in the category of, the, of verse 8, would they? Things that are, are true and noble and, and so on. So we put, put into practice what we, what we read in God's word and what we hear and we see in the lives of, of mature Christians. And that doesn't mean we're to, to just follow anything a Christian does either. Is that we, we need to be uh, always coming back to the word of God. And if there's something that we see in a Christian brother or sister that we're not sure about, we should, we should ask them, shouldn't we? Why do you do that that way? Why do you have that attitude? Why um, do you do uh, that thing? Because they might not realize that it's out of step with Scripture, or you might not realize uh, what they are, are doing. We're to be those that practice what the Bible teaches and to encourage uh, that in, in one another. And finally, we should draw comfort from the presence of our God. Uh, verse 9, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So as we live in a, in a hostile world, it's, it should give us great comfort uh, that the Lord says that he will be with us. God's not going to bless us if we, if we take a sinful path, is he? But he won't forsake us either. We've seen that with, with Jonah, haven't we? How he pursues him. And as a father, he will not allow him to, uh, to, to keep turning away. But he draws him back, he disciplines him. But he won't forsake us. And so as we strive to serve our Lord, he promises that he'll be with us. But again, just as last week in verse 7, uh, that this promise was, was contingent, it was based on, on obedience. Again, it's, it, it is the case here. The and connects it to what's come before, and the God of peace will be with you. As you do these things, as you think upon these things that are true and noble and pure and right and so on, and as we put into practice what we learn in the scriptures, what we see in in one another, that God promises that he will be with us, that the God of peace will be with us. There's that uh, similarity, isn't it, to verse 7, the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds. That God's peace will keep us safe. But here we see uh, that it's a very promise of, of the Lord's presence with us. And what a wonderful thing that is. Matthew ends his gospel, doesn't he, with Jesus giving the, the, the disciples the great commission. 
And he promises that he will be with them always to the very end of the age. And again, it's as they go out and they, uh, they, they, they take out the word of the kingdom that he says he will be with them as they obey uh, what they've been commanded to do, that they will know the Lord's special presence uh, with them. So what does Paul mean by the God of peace uh, being with us? What does, that, what does that mean? Obviously, it means God's presence, but why is he calling the God of peace? Of course, it, it, it links in nicely, doesn't it, with what's said in verse 7 and the, the peace of God's. But Paul's drawing on the Old Testament word shalom. He's talking about that, that God is the, the God of peace, he's the God of wholeness. Now, this Hebrew word is so much bigger than, than our word for peace. He's the God of wholeness and of well-being. He's the, he's the fount of every blessing. And so he's the one that, uh, that gives all good gifts, as we saw before in James chapter 1. And of course, that includes uh, giving us our Savior, doesn't it? Opening our eyes, giving us salvation. That God is the God who looks after his people. He's the God who protects his people. And of course, that's a great encouragement, isn't it? In a, in a hostile world that we know the presence of our God with us. This phrase, the God of peace, uh, it appears in a couple of, of places in the, uh, elsewhere in the New Testament. Uh, but firstly, uh, there's this reference to the God of peace as, as Jesus appears after the resurrection uh, to his disciples. Remember what he, he said as he, he came into the room? He said, peace be with you. And then he showed his hands and his sides. He showed the marks of the, the crucifixion. He showed the very means of uh, bringing about their peace uh, with God. The God of peace is used in, in terms of him being the saving God, the God that brings about peace and reconciliation. But in Hebrews 13, uh, the God of peace is referred to in terms of, of power. And again, knowing that our God is near us and that he is powerful, he's able to, uh, to, to, to do what he uh, wants to do is a great comfort, isn't it? The God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. <coughs> this reference to the God of peace reminds us of, of God's power. that He's the one that's able to, uh, to bring about that peace. But also it's used in terms of, of, of victory and particularly victory over uh, God's enemy. Romans 16, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's used to emphasize the imminent and inevitable victory of God over, over his enemies. And of course, therefore, of God's people over his enemies. So this phrase, the God of peace, has these contexts of salvation and God's power and his victory. And these are, are things that should bring us great comfort uh, shouldn't they? See, the Philippians uh, were greatly comforted when the Apostle Paul was with them as he, as he spoke uh, to them and as he, he demonstrated the, the reality of God's presence with him. But now he instructs them from a Roman prison, doesn't he? He instructs them from afar. A and yet that comfort of having Paul around is nothing in comparison to the, the comfort that we have knowing that our, our God is with us. It's far more comforting, isn't it, to know that the Lord is, is with us and with his people. This should be our great assurance, shouldn't it? And this should be our, our spur to, uh, to think in the way and to act in the way that, 
uh, that the Lord uh, wants us to do. So as we strive to live for Christ, as we stand firm in the truth, as we live as his people characterized by joy and gentleness, by prayer and peace, as we think about what's consistent with God's character and ways in the, the wider world and particularly uh, in, in the church, as we continue to work out our salvation, we will know the presence of our Lord with us. We'll know the, the God of peace uh, with us. And yet, of course, uh, God's presence with us is, is different from it will be as we think forwards, again, as Paul constantly points us forward to the return of Christ, when we will, we will be with the Lord, that we will be in his very presence and that we will see him uh, face to face. And this present joy of knowing God's, um, God's comfort in his presence will be overshadowed by uh, that time when we go to be with him and we are with him face to face. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, be, be encouraged. Uh, look at the world through the eyes of, of Scripture. Uh, cling on to what is good. Reject uh, what, is, uh, what is evil and false and, and wrong. And remember uh, that the Lord our God is, is with us uh, through all these times and to the very end. Amen.